Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello and welcome and thank you for joining in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Very pleased today to welcome back Trent Rogers to the table. Uh, Trent and I will be discussing Jeff Burr's recent sermon from Hosea chapter 6. And so Trent, Jeff Burr, he left for a meeting, as you and I are both aware, earlier this week. And he and Sherry are gone and joining and working. And uh, he regrets being unable to join us for this week's recording. So thank you very much for stepping in. Yeah, I regret that Jeff's not here, but happy to be here in his stead. Now we're looking forward to, or I've been looking forward to this conversation. So uh, before we begin, as we've been doing, we just want to issue a quick disclaimer for that some of what we might discuss in this episode may be unsuitable for the younger ears in your vicinity. So do feel free to hit the pause button. Make sure you come back, though, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you rejoin us here very quickly. But uh, Trent, one of our listeners submitted this first question. Uh, Jeff spoke about the two audiences for Hosea's prophecy, and that is, the immediate audience, the contemporary audience, and then, of course, here, the future reader, and that's us and, and others. So this prompted this person to ask how Hosea might have delivered this prophecy to the people. It Was it written? Was it oral? Was it, you know, what, what might have happened here? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, um, and this is something that we, we see with all of Scripture, that you know, there, there is an original audience, but then we also read that these things are written for us. They're written for our instruction. So the short answer is we, we don't know entirely. We don't know how uh, Hosea delivered this prophecy. At least we know uh, that it was uh, recorded and passed down. Uh, but this gets to a, a broader thing with prophetic messages we, we have a limited account of what many of the prophets uh, did. So I was even in my own devotional time reading through uh, Second Chronicles the other day, and there this, this prophet pops up, and you're like, well, who is Shemaiah? Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember any, you know, your biblical knowledge. is like, should I know Shemaiah? Well, he, he just doesn't occur uh, extensively. Um, or you, you read a few chapters later about another prophet, and, and the king's like, well, he always prophesies bad things about me. And we just don't have record of, of all of those prophecies. So we don't have a full record of everything that the prophet said. We don't have a full record of how they were delivered. But I will say that this is a public act, right? So uh, people would have witnessed Gomer's unfaithfulness, and the names of his children are peculiar as well. Uh, so those, those very public prophetic acts draw attention uh, to that message that he's delivering. He certainly wasn't trying to hide. You couldn't hide some of that. No, yeah. that's exactly right. Well, uh, Trent, you you and I both enjoyed, I know on Sunday, a uh, very masterful, I'll call it, illustration that Jeff was shared. Uh, I believe I saw one of your kids up there tasting those cookies. Yeah, and the, the, big, uh, the big complaint was, Hey, why didn't he give us the good cookies? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was waiting on that. Come on, Jeff Burr. Come on. I was Maybe waiting that's for the good this cookies Sunday. as well. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> but Jeff had shared if you're uh, if you were uninitiated and didn't see it, Jeff shared a bunch of cookies with the youth or the children of the church who had come up and left one important ingredient, sugar, out. And some of the faces when they were taking bites out of those cookies were comical to see. But anyway, Jeff was talking there about repentance or our response to any biblical truth. I guess you could say he mentioned that such a response has to include the proper ingredients and not just the proper ingredients, but all of the proper ingredients in order for it to taste right. So he, he indicated a, what I'll say, a good theological understanding isn't enough to get the job done for repentance, for example. So let's talk, Trent, here about how we can apply this truth in everyday life. Yeah, so it was a really masterful illustration. And those first three verses, there's kind of a, a disconnect between that and, and the rest of the chapter because those first three verses seem to describe like the right things to say. So it's either that this is anticipating future repentance or presently these are the things that they're saying, but their actions aren't uh, concordant with that. We know what to do, but... Yeah, that's right. It's it's one of those things where like, I'll say the right thing. And, and Jeff has mentioned this even in his illustration when a, when a kid said, I'm really sorry. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I can tell by your tone that you're actually not. Or Let's I can tell that by again. your actions that you're actually not. And we see this theme in Scripture. So, you know, you, you think about uh, the parable of the house built on the sand. It's whoever hears my words and does them. So it's not sufficient just to hear. Or I was spending uh, some time yesterday in First John 2, and there's this contrast between the person who claims to know God and then doesn't evidence that in their heart. And we see that in the book of James as well. And the reality is, is that a, a deep-seated relationship with God is transformative and that it impacts our actions. So we see evidences of it in our lives. But the problem of insincere repentance is really not a new one. Um, and Bart, you and I have seen a number of issues over the years, even at Grace, where somebody says, I'm really sorry, but how do we know they're not? You know, we, we see in their actions. Um so when it comes to like defining repentance, there's actually a work by a Puritan author, um, Thomas Watson, that's really helpful. I'm just going to mention it. It's called The Difficult Doctrine of Repentance. Um, it, it's a short work, but uh, he, he basically breaks down uh, some uh, markers of the, the, some things that are sometimes taken to be markers of repentance, but aren't. And then he says, these are elements that ought to be true in real repentance. And I'm not going to mention all the scriptures that he gives for them, but I'll just mention those, those six elements. Now, some of the, the, the things that aren't necessarily markers of repentance are like weeping and wailing. And we've been in situations where people weep and wail, and you're like, oh, your initial response, your thought is like, they're really sorry. Uh, but then what do we see, right? We see them like persist in their rebellion. Um, so I'll mention these Barton. You can, you can ask it, it, any on any of them. So he says sight of sin. So you have to, if you're really going to be repentant, you have to see sin mm -hmm. and see it for what it is, which leads to then sorrow for sin because you see how sin has grieved the heart of God. And if it's against another person, how it grieves them. Uh, confession of sin. There's a there's this uh, verbalization of the sin uh, first and foremost to God. There's shame for sin, and and shame gets a bad rap today. But what he's saying is like 
when our, when our actions don't accord with our confession of faith, we ought to have a sense of godly shame. And we say, oh, that is, that is not right. That's not who I am. There ought to be a hatred of sin. So you're seeing sin rightly. Now, how many times, Bart, have we been in situations where we've seen people, but they, they still want that sin so bad? And you want to say, okay, turn from the sin actively, but also you want to pray that God changes your heart so you actually see that sin with hatred. And then lastly, turning from sin. And that's the outward manifestation that we see is working out repentance over the long haul. Hatred of sin. Let's talk about hatred of sin. There are things that surprise us. We're confronted with a a picture or, or anything that might just stun us. Oh my goodness. Where did this come from? A gory site or whatever it might be. Um, it's very easy to get inoculated against sin, against the the hatred of sin, because we are just so inundated by visual, auditory, and other images or or uh, yeah. stimulation. Let's talk about how yeah. we can how we can uh, train ourselves, discipline ourselves, so to speak, against losing that hatred so you you go to the idea of media which i think is is a, a a good example of how we're deadened to the reality of sin so hatred of sin is seeing sin rightly that this is something that breaks fellowship with god this is this is something for which christ died this is something if unrepented that sends people to the pit of hell um so uh, I think you you mentioned media, and one of the challenges with uh, so much uh, media today is that it celebrates things God hates and mocks things God loves. Now, if you're constantly taking in uh, that narrative that this thing that God hates is actually good and funny and, and joy-filled, and you're taking in the counter-narrative that uh, God's good designs are uh are things that aren't really good well that's that's hard to to hate sin because you've been you've been constantly taking in this false narrative Uh, and hatred of sin happens when we dwell deeply on god's word we see sin for what it really is and uh, we turn from it in our hearts um can't tell you the number of people that we've worked with over the years um, that said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that by act of will, which I want to say, well, that's good, uh, but I so want it. And I want to say, well, that's incomplete because you're not, your, your heart is not in step with God. And, and so I want to say, yes, active obedience first, don't do it, uh, but pray that God changes your heart so that you desire things rightly. And uh, stay tuned because we are going to be entering a study of the uh, Sermon on the Mount yes. here in chapters yep. 5 through 7 of Matthew. And that is really the overarching theme of that. It's not only what you do, it's it's why you do it because you love sin. Yes, yeah. So uh, you're right to, to point to the Sermon on the Mount gets to the heart. And that's what was so surprising, uh, among other things, about Jesus' teaching is that he was teaching to the heart not merely to these outward behaviors. Trent, let's let's delve just a, a tick deeper. I'm going to take one at least one more shovel full here. And 
I'm I'm compelled to say look, so much of what we see today, sin, is so much more secret often. Uh, and it, our world has allowed that we carry more media in our pocket than our, the, the generation before us ever thought of even being able to access in our, in our phones. And so, or many of us yep. do. And so let's talk about, and look, all sin typically starts as covert operations, yep. so to speak, but let's talk about again, disciplining ourselves against that secret sin uh, and really training our hearts and our minds. So that's a good point, Bart. Um, we can talk about secret sin, and let's also mention anonymous sin. Okay, so, right. And and here's what and, I, and by the way, define. Yeah. What, so you, you know, you mentioned phone. So I'm going to use two examples of secret sin and anonymous sin. So easy example of secret sin uh, with a phone would be pornography. Another example of secret sin with a phone would be envy. I scroll through Facebook and I just am angry and bitter and envious of everything everybody else has or does. Those are that's a secret. Sin. By the way, your cherry tree did produce more cherries than mine this year. So. <laughs> My cherry tree actually—they're not great cherries. They're a little bitter, but it is prolific this year. <laughs> <I know>. so, <laughs> um, I've heard the stories of you on your roof picking cherries. That's right. so. Um, my apple trees aren't that great though. So, so there are secret sins. So we can talk about envy or lust, but then there are anonymous sins that come to us through technology, uh, these days as well. And I'm not going to mention the name of this app because I don't want you to go download it. Uh, but there's an app that I could, uh, I could post things anonymously that are slanderous and gossipy. And it's regionally based. So we could all be piling on somebody or something together and no, there's no accountability. So that's a way that technology can be used for anonymity to the detriment of others. But that's slander. That's gossip. Um, that's harsh speech. All of those things that are easily accessible through anonymity of a phone. Um, but then there's also secret sins uh, that you mentioned. So, I mean... <laughs> all three of those like delete the app right you know how se- i've done that that's right yeah uh, how serious are you going to be about uh killing sin in your life hey what is the when we talk about uh real repentance and turning from sin are you willing to be inconvenienced um in order to pursue holiness so i've known people that have gone to Old school flip phones, which is hard to do. It's hard to do just from a, a convenience standpoint, but it's hard to do because you go into a phone store and say, I want a flip phone with no data. And they just kind of look at you like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, but, you know, that in some ways is uh, uh, an indication of repentance. Are you willing to be inconvenienced uh, to pursue God? How serious are you? That's right. Yep. Let's move on. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that hole there for us to examine later. So uh, Trent, God shares in, in verse 5 the importance of his word and its work in his people. I think it's probably a good opportunity just to remind each other and our listeners of the role of God's word in everyday life uh, for God's people. So uh, let's take that opportunity now. Yeah, so there are so many scriptures that, that we could turn to. Um, but I just thought I'd share one that's incredibly impactful for me, and it fits with Hosea so well. Um, and it comes from uh, Isaiah 66, uh, another one of the prophets. 
this is the one to whom I will look. So this is God speaking. This is, this is the one to whom I look, the one in whom I have favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. And that's been the issue in Hosea. They haven't been humble and contrite. They haven't been truly repentant. Like, they, they, don't, they don't hate their sin. It, it's something that they still desire it. So he is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We, we see God's word rightly as God speaking. And, and, and we have a, a right reverence and, and respect because we so reverence and respect God. Now, when we think about what is the power of God's word in our life, I mean, we could talk about so many things. We could talk about uh, it's necessary for obedience. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do what God says, you got to know what He says first. It's uh, essential for our joy because it reveals the object of our joy, God Himself, and the source of our joy, God Himself. It helps us appreciate the beauty of God. We see Him. For who he really is. It helps us in fighting sin. How can a young man keep his way pure? And it's by dwelling on God's word. It helps us with hope. Think about Romans 15. Uh, they're, they're written so that we might have hope. They help sustain our faith. And they allow us to live a wise and truthful life. And so sometimes you hear this application to be in God's word so frequently and sermon text that sometimes we, we said, well, yeah, of course, uh, but it, 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 we should underscore the life-giving reality of dwelling on God's word. And if one's having struggles doing that individually, give them some hints on some yeah. ways to him or her just to develop that habit. So uh, one thing is just to schedule it. So, um, you know, there are certain things that are important to us like uh, like food, right? Uh, you have a pretty regular food routine. Like, uh, Bart, this is an accountability question. Did you brush your teeth this morning? I did. Okay, that's, good, that's good to hear. <laughs> and last night. <laughs> um, but, but that's an important, you know, right. uh, tooth health is, is important to you. So you have a, a schedule for that. Eating is important. So you have a, a general schedule. And, and I think that's true for all things that we, we deeply value. Um, you know, even my wife and I schedule times for conversation because I want to prioritize that. I want to make sure that that doesn't get neglected in all of the hustle and bustle of the day. And so, by the way, it will, way it will yeah, get neglected, neglected even with your spouse. That's right. Um, or your children. So for me, that's uh, I, in the morning. Uh, I just set aside time before all of the things of the day uh, come to us. So I think scheduling a time, having a plan, only the simplest of desires are achieved without a plan. You know, if, if, I, if, I, if I have a sweet tooth, I might be able to go to a vending machine really quickly. Uh, that's a simple desire, but a, a deep-seated desire like a, a, a thriving marriage, that's going to take a lot more effort and intentionality than satisfying a sweet tooth. Um, and, and you're going to have to think through that. You're going to have to plan that you're gonna to have to prioritize that um and i think uh, talking with other people is is a helpful thing um so when we think about the disciplines of bible and prayer those are things that i don't just do by myself i regularly do with other people um and we got people that keep me accountable to that they'll ask me questions like hey how's your prayer life been like and 
that's a helpful question. Or like, what have you been reading recently? Uh, or uh, a question like, how has God's word impacted you recently? Is there something that's really stood out? Um, right. And it gets to the body. It gets to the, right. the role of the, the church. Yes. Good. Well, uh, keep on moving here. I want to focus on verse 6 here in Hosea chapter 6. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Uh, it's a concept that we see throughout the scripture. We can go to Psalm 40. We can go to Hebrews all the way, everything between. But it's both major and minor prophets as well. But really, what what's going on here? Yeah, I think uh, the con there's a contrast here between um, uh, steadfast love and knowledge of God, and that's contrasted with sacrifice and burnt offerings, and and part of it it's a uh, shocking because it's like well if I actually in the old covenant really love God and have knowledge of God I will uh, bring offerings. Um, ultimately pointing towards the blood of Christ who will wash away our sins forever. Uh, but the what is assumed here is a, an insincere or a flippant approach uh, to sacrifices. The idea that like, I'll go, I'll go uh, live it up with my sins and then I just, you know, I'll go make a quick sacrifice and we're all good. Um, and, and God is drawing the contrast here saying like, what I really want is I want a love for me and a knowledge of me, not just a mere performance of external rituals. Um, so it's the contrast between uh, sincere and insincere worship. So uh, let, let's bring this to the New Testament church in the 21st century. What are some things that we are perhaps asked to do by God or required to do by God. Uh, we don't offer sacrifices, so that really doesn't apply to us, or does it? Yeah, so, I mean, we can do any external act of worship from a heart of insincerity. And uh, if I could go a step before the, the 21st century, I mean, you look at the New Testament and the Pharisees, right? They were doing a lot of acts that were... Uh, seemingly worship-filled. Uh, but when Jesus interacts with them, it's so clear that their hearts are, are far from God. So um, the mere external performance of an act um, is, not honor, is not honorable in God's sight. It's the heart. Um, when the act becomes a focus, you know you've got a problem. Right. That's right. Good. Okay, great. Well, and then let's talk about the role of, of discipline. We've talked a little bit about that, and as far as our worship of God is concerned, the Israelites appeared at this time to have some of the disciplines of worship covered, but it, it was misguided, perhaps we could say empty discipline. I know you're a very disciplined guy. I've, I've observed that. We've talked about that uh, over the past number of years. Can you share some of the ways you seek to guard yourself from your disciplines shadowing your devotion to God? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, the, the, the most important thing is to say, um, when I think about discipline in my life, it's a way to express value and prioritization. So I'm disciplined with, uh, we mentioned brushing our teeth, right? <laughs> or, uh, or, or food or exercise, or maybe in our professions, they call us to be disciplined in some way. There are things I value. 
Um, so it, it's the valuing comes first. Um, so because I so value uh, God and life with him, that leads to discipline actions, uh, not the other way around. Um, so uh, it's a danger for all of us um, that we might approach uh, some of those actions that are good actions with insincere hearts. So uh, one of the things that's absolutely crucial for me, I mean, uh, obviously community is, uh, is, a, is, is crucial. I mean, the author of Hebrews talks about um, let no uh, root of unbelief take root in your, in your life. Um, and the antidote to that is exhort one another as long as it's called today. Um, so that's other people exhorting me, which is crucial. But for, for me, just on a personal level, a prayer is so important in the morning. It's something no one sees. It's an expression of my dependence before God. Um, and it, it focuses me on, on God's activity in the day and treats God as if he really exists and he's really going to work in the world. Well, let me ask an elder of the church. Uh, have you ever had a situation where you found, I, I've had this type of situation, where you found your discipline was really your focus? And how did you deal with that? Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think that's, uh, I have. I want to hear yours. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned that. I'll you go did. ahead. Okay. Hey, touche. No, mine was back in college. I was uh, just beginning my walk with the Lord, an active walk with the Lord. And I would wake up every morning uh, to spend a certain amount of time in prayer, a certain amount of time in scripture memory, a certain amount of time in scripture reading. And uh, it was and not necessarily in that order, but I had it. I mean, I had it sketched out to the minute and it was good for me starting out. It was good for me to help me to keep at it, and I knew I needed that, and that's my nature. But I, uh, when I got married, and this is certainly not saying that Sandy was a, a problem in my sanctification process because it wasn't, but when I got married, all of a sudden I had a lot more responsibility. I had a lot more folks. I had other things I, I needed to do, and I found that that discipline, that way of disciplining myself didn't work anymore. For a number of reasons. So I had to change my discipline structure. I still needed discipline, mm -hmm. but I had to change my structure. And I needed to realize that, boy, for about four or five years there, I was relying more on my disciplined approach than I was on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in me. That's good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Your turn. I, yeah. yeah <laughs> my, um, I think uh, just obviously I've, I've experienced a similar thing with... Uh, discipline in scripture um becoming misplaced another example could be um uh, i've seen this uh in, in giving like sacrificial giving before where it's like uh no i'm disciplined in this and you start to take pride in the act rather than this joy-filled response to what god has done uh in our lives uh so yeah uh, it's and and lest I paint a picture that boy I, I got that fixed and now yeah, everything's sorry. great. I still struggle with that, Trent. I still struggle with discipline, and uh, but I I desire it and I'm still chasing after That's it right. and uh, I want to get better. So, okay, let's uh, let, let's end with this. 
it, it strikes me here that perhaps there's somebody in our congregation and congregation our size, no doubt there's one and probably many more who in our midst who have been rebelling against God's work in their lives. Perhaps it's been what you called a secret or an anonymous rebellious rebellion. Uh, there may be an act of sin problem. Perhaps there's another type of hardness of the heart, uh, which I guess would be rebellion as well. But counsel that person. They're, they're there in that morass of sin. They maybe are liking it and maybe don't yeah. want to put shine the light on it. Counsel that person in light of what we've been studying here in Hosea's prophecy. Yeah, so I, I would want to challenge them um, again with that, those, that verse that I read from Isaiah. A humble and contrite spirit that trembles at his word. Now, the prophecy in Hosea is directed against a nation and their rebellion. Um, and... I, I, I want to make sure I, I say that rightly. It's directed against a nation, but it also has application to how personally we respond to God. Um, so I, I want to hold out two ideas from Hosea and from the rest of Scripture that can motivate our repentance and obedience. And those are simply judgment and joy. Um, so uh, Hosea holds out a real big emphasis on judgment. Um, and the idea is, is that God's commands, so whatever command this person might be struggling with, uh, God's commands are, are for his glory, and uh, rebellion against that will be judged. Uh, we, we should not read Hosea as if it's an idle message uh, to people a few thousand years ago and that God still doesn't judge rebellion. And the, the threat of judgment, if we really believe God is almighty and all-knowing, that can be a very motivating thing. Uh, but there's also the promise of joy. So you get to the end of the book, and, and Hosea is talking about uh, the joy that they could experience of life with God. And so we also want to say, uh, yes, God's commandments uh, are for his glory, and they're also for our joy. And this goes back to seeing sin and rebellion rightly, that there is actually no joy outside of obedience. And that is the deception of sin, that there is joy and fulfillment outside of obedience to God. And we see this from the very first sin. There's a temptation to disbelieve the, what God has said is the reality of sin and to find fulfillment in the sin and the disobedience. But I think we can see from Adam and Eve's lives and the rest of world history that sin does not produce joy. So that person is deceived in, in, in that moment, whatever they're struggling with, uh, to not see the threat of judgment and to not see that there is only joy in obedience to God. And by the way, momentary pleasure is not defined as yes, joy. Right. It, so Hebrews, again, uses the term, the passing pleasures of sin. Uh, so you see, well, certainly some sins have an immediate euphoric rush, right? Uh, or they wouldn't be enticing, but they leave you empty uh, and unfulfilled, and uh, they have no lasting happiness. Absolutely. Trent, hey, thanks for jumping in. We really appreciate your sharing your, your the wisdom and wisdom from God's word with us today.
Always happy to be a poor substitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been digging deeper today with Trent Rogers, and we encourage you to share your questions and your comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word. Randy McKinnon will be leading us through chapters 7 and 8. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.